0: Welcome to Streams
1: of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life.
0: Hey everyone, this is Mera, and this week on Streams of Progress, we have another special episode done in collaboration with the Young Arab Leaders. On this episode, I sat down with Helen Alozese, founder of the Future Entrepreneurs Platform and CEO of BizWorld UAE. Helen is driven by a mission to empower the next generation of entrepreneurs. By working with educators, she's empowering teachers to incorporate entrepreneurial learnings into multiple aspects of the academic curriculum. We also explored the various work she has done with social enterprises. We covered a lot in this episode, so let's jump right in. We're sitting with Helen Alozese, the founder of the Future Entrepreneurs Platform. Before we explore what that is and all her other engagements, let's get to know her. Can you tell us a bit about your background, Helen?
1: So I'm Jordanian by kind of heritage, but I was born and raised in Bahrain and I'm the youngest of quite a big family. We're five brothers and sisters. So um, they always say, you know, um, there's always something about the youngest and the oldest. So I think being the youngest, I I was very lucky in the fact that my parents had learned all the lessons with all my other siblings and experimented with them. (laughs) So I kind of got the opportunity to Test the, you know, test their limits and kind of um, do things a little differently. So I was always the, I would say, the rebel amongst, um, in the family, um, but not the kind of rebel that was out there rebellious, but really just always testing, you know, how far can I go? What can I do with this? How can I do things a little differently? So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a bit about how kind of the mindset that I was
0: raised with. You were already pushing the boundaries of maybe what's possible at that age.
1: Everything my parents said no to, or everything that was kind of like, what was the normal expected, this is how your sisters did it, this is how your brother did it, it didn't work with me. It all just, I, I kind of just said that, yeah, okay, fine. That was how that worked with them. Now this is how it is going to work with me, you know? <laughs> um, so that was always, that was kind of just really from a very, very early age. Um, I would say as far back as I can remember, even if you watch home videos of me when I was four or five, I was always testing um the boundaries if you will
0: and when was it that you migrated to dubai So,
1: born and raised in bahrain graduated from school there and then i went to the uk for university um and then in the typical kind of you know expat fashion my father then uh tried to retire although he then went back to bahrain but in that short stint of retirement of about a year and a half the family moved back to jordan So after university, I moved to Jordan for about 10 years and started my career there. And about nine years ago, um, there was an opportunity to move to Dubai. And so I did. And I've been here ever since.
0: So I want to go back to where you said you went to university. You studied government law at the University of Manchester. And then after that, you also continued your executive education at Columbia University. And that's not where you didn't stop there. You continued further And now you're continuing your education at London School of Economics. So I want to ask, what motivates you to continue pursuing, let's say, a lifelong learning mindset? Let me put it this way.
1: Um, When I studied law and government, it wasn't really uh, my cup of tea. So it was always what I thought I wanted to do. But the minute I set foot and started studying law, I realized that um, it really wasn't what I wanted to do as a career. A great foundation, learned a lot, but it was never, it never felt right. Um, And so I definitely struggled with university um, in the first kind of, in my first stint at it. Um, And then I've always had this itching to uh, do international development because of the work that I do now. Um, Especially when it comes to education and development and the community development side of things. It was always there. So really, um, it was a no-brainer for me. Um, I always feel like you can learn more. I always actually feel like it's not enough. Um, and even till today, I always, I still feel like there's so much more that I can learn. Um, there, I love being able to kind of step into any conversation and at least understand what's going on and be able to contribute. Um, I love being able to really... Again, challenge, you know, talking about boundaries earlier, challenge my mind and um, go a step further and see, okay, how much more can I still absorb? Um, I'm almost 40 40 in a year, you know, from now, and I, I feel like I still haven't even scratched the surface of learning. I still have more ambitions of things that I want to learn. And it's not about, you know, doing a PhD to get a doctorate at the side of my name or doing, you know, getting degrees that have, like, really fancy titles. It's more, I would actually go back to school and start from scratch and, you know, sit with freshmen and I would love to do that. So it's just something that really, um, I feel like learning never ends. There's always so much more. And whenever you think, you know, you learn how much you don't know. So I think really, truly, the more you learn, the more you realize there's so much more to learn. And as I've gone through this journey, every step of the way, I feel like, I know nothing and there's still so much more to do and so much more to kind of absorb and learn and experience.
0: What you just said really resonated because the more I think about it, the more we learn is when we actually realize there's a lot more that we don't know. It's actually those who don't know much who think, oh, I know everything, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so as you explore more and more fields, you realize, wow, there's so much more that I don't actually know, and I want to continue pursuing this.
1: Absolutely, and every literally every day, I discover that there are things that I have no clue about, and I'm like, "How did I miss that? You know? And what can I do? And how can I kind of? I don't need to be. Um, I don't need to be an expert at everything. It's just understand enough to know, you know, how the world works from different sides and different angles and different. Um, experiences.
0: Yeah. I always think there's two sides to learning. There's one, the academic uh, and learning from the past and the theory, but specifically in your case as well, experience. And over the last 17 years, you have done quite a range of things from marketing to nonprofits, entrepreneurship. So before we actually talk about some of your current engagements, I would love for our listeners to learn more about some of your past experiences?
1: Everything happened by complete mistake and complete (laughs) fluke. So I'm definitely a planner. Uh, I definitely have goals and I sit there and I think, okay, what do I want to do with my life? But as luck would have it, every single turning point in my career and in my life happened by complete fluke. So I'm a big believer in really trusting kind of the way that the the way that the world works uh, for you. So when I finished university, I went to Jordan, and uh, like I said, I really didn't want to be a lawyer. The reason why I studied law was I wanted to make the world a better place, and I realized that law was not necessarily in the form that I was uh, being exposed to it, wasn't necessarily the way that I would make the world a better place. So very quickly, I kind of just said, okay, let's put that aside, ignore that even happened, and let me do something else. Except I didn't know what I wanted to do, because law was all I had ever, ever thought of, even, I mean, I used to sit there and watch Law and Order when I was a kid, uh, while others watched, you know, Pink Panther and stuff. So it was, it was all I really knew. So um, I came to Jordan, told my mom and my dad that I didn't want to be a lawyer. My father, having been a lawyer, kind of was disappointed. My mom, having set her whole heart and all her like hopes and dreams on this, me pursuing this career, kind of was devastated. But um, what they did was they gave me an ultimatum and said, you know what, fine, you don't want to be a lawyer, you have a couple of days to find another job. And um, we didn't have Google or WhatsApp or any of this stuff at the time. So a couple of days is really, really not a lot of time to find a job, Um, especially in Jordan, where I didn't grow up, I didn't know people, didn't have contacts, nothing. So um, anyway, long story short, um, did a couple of interviews, really pulled every string I possibly could and I finally ended up getting a job in advertising and I absolutely fell in love and that's when I realized that when you love something you can really really do well because I hated studying law and it was just a struggle the entire time when I got into communications and advertising I was like a blooming flower I just loved every second of it and so I spent the first eight years of my career doing that. And I would say to anyone that was going to like do pursue any career, you need to have a good marketing communications background. So for me, um, it sort of set the tone and was a f- phenomenal foundation for everything I did after that, because I was able to really, um, look at things from, you know, how, how are you messaging it? How are you positioning it? How are you taking it? And I worked on awesome brands like Porsche and Lamborghini and Amar and LG and like just really epic stuff. Um, but you know, I think when you're, um, when you have a mission and you have a purpose, it always kind of eats up at you. So it was always like at the back of my head that this was temporary and that eventually I was going to go back to saving the world and making the world a better place. Clearly, I haven't saved the world yet. But it's, I found that my path really kind of shifted um, after my father passed away. And I had one of those epiphany like aha moments that said, you know what, you're wasting your time not doing what you've always wanted to do. So I quit and I um, volunteered for a while, and I was very fortunate enough that I was recruited to work with Her Majesty Queen Rania of Jordan on community development. And this nonprofit stuff uh, or community development was very interlinked with the entrepreneurship world that I'm in right now. So they're not too far off. Um, but the, the the work that I did there was... Um, very much involved in youth entrepreneurship and, you know, working with delinquent youth. And I was responsible for, you know, fundraising, international relations, but I was very involved in a lot of the programs and a lot of the things that we were doing. And so I got to see the impact that entrepreneurship could have on women uh, in rural areas, on communities and how they could really help, you know, entire communities through small entrepreneurial ventures like a bakery or um, delinquent youth reintegrating into the communities through entrepreneurship after they left, you know, um, different delinquent centers and things like that. So, kind of, I started to get this picture of the impact that entrepreneurship can have on the wider kind of community and the economy. Um, So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of how that started. And I've been in the entrepreneurship space since then. Um, as CEO of uh, Mowgli Foundation, which did mentoring for entrepreneurs, also a very pivotal time in my career um, where I started to really understand the value of mentorship and what mentorship is versus coaching and advising and things like that. And then I just did my own thing, you know. I thought, okay, fine, I'm kind of learning all about entrepreneurship through all these different um, avenues. Maybe it's time for me to walk the talk, you know. Um, here I am claiming that entrepreneurship is this great thing, but I haven't done it. So that's when I kind of went down my own entrepreneurial path, uh, which is also involved in entrepreneurship, so <laughs> it's very much, uh, I mean, there's, um, there's, clearly, uh, there's clearly a theme here <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I sincerely believe in it um, from like so many different angles and I'm sure we'll get into that later, But that's the, I mean, to me, entrepreneurship is not just about setting up a business, you know, so uh, we can talk about that a bit further.
0: Yeah, definitely. I just want to ask when you made this leap to entrepreneurship, was this while you were still back in Jordan or was that when you moved to the UAE?
1: To the UAE. So I, um, I was with the, the Jordan River Foundation, which is Queen Rania's foundation. Um, and then from there, I was recruited to be the CEO of Mowgli, which was based in Dubai. But I was running the UK, the Middle East and North Africa out of Dubai.
0: OK, so that's when you moved to Dubai. Mm-hmm. Moving on to what you're currently doing, which you kind of hinted at, which is enabling more entrepreneurship. You are currently the founder of the platform Future Entrepreneurs If you could enlighten our listeners into what the platform is and obviously what is its goal. I have a sense of what its goal might be based on what you just said. (laughs) I'll let you tell us.
1: So um, how do I start this? You know, I was saying everything happened completely by fluke and coincidence. So the advertising thing, just literally, you know, coincidence. The uh, Jordan River foundation if I tell you the story, complete coincidence. Um, when I got recruited to join Mowgli, also real, real weird life stuff. And the same with this. And so literally it was middle of the night. I, I, I could say two o'clock in the morning. And um, although it's advisable not to do this, I was on my phone in bed, um, scrolling through Twitter. And I see this tweet by this organization based in the U S that invests in kids ideas. And it was one of those, another one of those really kind of like Eureka aha moments. I got out of bed. It was April 1st. So, but it was not an April fool's joke. And I got out of bed, got onto this computer and started researching kids entrepreneurship And I was like, why has no one done this in this part of the world? Why has no one even talked about this? And I thought, you know what? Um, I'm going to go all in. And within five days, I had uh, created, I had set up this company, uh, or at least started the ball rolling in the setup of the company. I had talked to a couple of friends and raised the money needed. I had found this organization in the US that had an awesome uh, curriculum, which is BizWorld UAE, uh, or now BizWorld UAE, but it's BizWorld based out of Silicon Valley. And everything just started kind of coming together within three weeks. I'd had everything set up. And what it is, is basically working with kids starting from the age of six and seven on developing an entrepreneurial mindset. And why is this so important? Because the numbers are there, there's unemployment rates are through the roof. Uh, youth unemployment. Uh, most of the university, un- uh, most of the unemployed are university graduates. Education hasn't changed. So there's all this, all these statistics, which I won't bore you with. But when you have 30 percent unemployment rates in the middle East, in the MENA region, there's a problem, and. The econ- And public sectors can't accommodate all these people. And we have one of the largest youth populations. And so all of a sudden it kind of made sense that if you want the future to be quote unquote bright, and you want people to have something to aspire to, you need them to have the entrepreneurial mindset. Am I saying everyone needs to run, in, run around and create these like lemonade stands and be entrepreneurs? Absolutely not. I'm saying... But there is a mindset that comes with resilience, creativity and grit and being able to really um, think outside of the box. And how do you think creatively, even when you're within a company, if you want to go through traditional employment? So what we do is we teach entrepreneurship to children. I work with schools uh, on adapting the curriculum and integrating it into the curriculum. So how do you take English and create entrepreneurial projects? How do you take math and give this entrepreneurial twist. How do you create projects that are interdisciplinary amongst different subjects? Um, and then we also highlight young entrepreneurs and kids that are doing really cool stuff because there are kids doing epic things. Um, I work with organizations like uh, GEMS Education in the UAE, also on um, developing a youth hub for kids to uh, present their ideas, but also invest in students' ideas. Uh, mentoring these students to doing agreements with uh, VCs and mentoring uh, organizations. And then with the pandemic, I've taken all the program as well and put it all online uh, to be able to kind of reach more people. So it's all about developing the right skills in children at a young age that will enable them to have uh, more control and more kind of, um, I want to just, it's not just control. It's, it's, they, they have, they're more likely to succeed if they have the entrepreneurial mindset, no matter what they choose, even if they want to be a dentist, a dentist opening up his, his or her own clinic is an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know? And so this is, this is where, I mean, I think, um, the, when I first started five years ago, this concept was super foreign. No one got it. Like I would knock on doors and people like, you know, you're mad, right? I'm like, I don't understand why you guys don't see it. Like, Can't you see what I see, you know? And then I would take the program to refugee camps and people be like, are you mad? And I'm like, guys, just look at these children and look how hungry they are for learning. And these kids don't like school, you know? So it just kind of really uh, reiterated the fact that entrepreneurship is for everyone. So I've run the program in refugee camps and public schools and top end IB schools, like the most expensive schools in the region and across the board. Whether it's a six and seven-year-old or a senior in high school, the minute you give them that space to explore entrepreneurship, they shine. They shine. It's insane, you know? So that's that's a bit about what I do.
0: There's a lot to take away from that. Just the thought of empowering them with the knowledge of entrepreneurship. And exactly like you said, even if that means they don't go on to become directly an entrepreneur, the skills or that mindset can be applied to any other thing they do as well. Mm-hmm. So yes, they might go become an entrepreneur and set up their own business, but even just empowering them to have that knowledge, they're gonna excel at other things they do and other roles they pursue in their career as well.
1: Look at all the top organizations around the world and you will see that, first of all, they are led by the people that are within them, right? It's fine, you have great leaders and you, ha- you do have the Steve Jobs and you do have all these people, but, their teams are equally as strong and innovative. And when people ask, you know, who came up with the idea of this, you will always find that it's the entrepreneurial uh, employees, if you will, that have come up with this stuff. It's the people that have this um, mindset of innovation, of again, boundaries, you know, limits, thinking more beyond what is required of them, thinking creatively. And that's Prices.
0: Yeah, to question maybe what is potentially the status quo, even within an organization. It's and that's where you come up with those breakthroughs or those new thoughts of of pursuing in the company. So just to clarify, mm-hmm. so BizWorld is, as you said, it's a entity in the U.S. that you have now brought to UAE, Egypt, and Jordan, not just Dubai, right? Yes. And that actually is under your the Future Entrepreneurs platform.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, Future Entrepreneurs is um, is the platform that has multiple areas all around youth entrepreneurship. So we do consulting. So what I do with Gems, for example, is uh, advisory and consulting, and I'm like an in-house director for youth startups within Gems, um, and then which is all under the Future Entrepreneurs. Anything that has to do with youth entrepreneurship um falls under future entrepreneurs the curriculum that we use in terms of the um, actual teachers training the actual curriculum the actual program that we run is a BizWorld program and BizWorld is a silicon valley based program that was founded by tim draper and, and lots of you know some of the biggest names in silicon valley over 24 25 years ago and it started as a grassroots movement at the time and um we, and it's a nonprofit organization and we've brought it to the Middle East uh, to be able to run it and we've Arabized it and you know adapted it to the region and um, we run it with schools as well as um, different kind of youth organizations. So I've worked with a lot of youth organizations as well um, but it also has a lot of teacher training so it's led by teachers um, not necessarily by
0: us. Interesting. So you're also empowering the teachers to apply that into their curriculum that you already into, you also facilitate, you know, maybe an English class, how could they potentially bring up entrepreneurial learnings or teachings, but you're also teaching the teachers (laughs) in a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we do teacher trainings and all that stuff, because at the end of the day, um, education is primarily delivered by educators. And if we sit there and I mean, there are a lot of people that have all these amazing ideas of all these, Oh, we're going to, you know, um, do so much for education and, they're not educators. And the minute you start working with educators, you realize how different they are in terms of the way they think. And they are very, very much by the book. So whatever program you bring in, if it's not, if you don't have the buy-in of the educators, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, it's, it's just, it's never going to, it's never going to fly. So I found that working with the teachers and the schools and the educators was the best way to be able to kind of really create the change that i wanted to see
0: speaking of creating the change you want to see i know you're involved with a lot of uh, charitable organizations and giving back i mean in a way in my mind to be honest what you do with future entrepreneurs is social impact and it is giving back even though it is also a business but what i'm actually referring to now is the more charitable organizations you're involved with Specifically, there's a lot of work you're doing supporting Palestinian refugees. Mm -hmm. I know you are the member of the Board of Trustees of PACES, currently working with Palestinian refugee children through sports. And you're also an advisor and brand ambassador for the Social Enterprise Project, Mm -hmm. working on empowering Palestinian Syrian refugee women. So I think that last one, there's a bit more entrepreneurship uh, elements there. Maybe you can enlighten us into what these are. And I honestly want to understand... Why are you drawn to, because in a way you are already doing a lot of social impact work. What draws you specifically to even do this on top of everything you're doing?
1: I think giving back was ingrained in me from a very young age. My mom uh, didn't work full time, but she was full time, full on with like charity work. And so it was always just part of kind of everything that I saw her do and everything that was part of our kind of my upbringing. Um, I also feel like we all have a huge responsibility no matter how small and no matter who you are and no matter what you can and can't do, we all have a responsibility to help each other. So that's, um, I would say, like the kind of um, the driving force behind the reason why i, I, I it's in my blood. I, I can't take it away. Um, so... Paces is, um, works with around 7,000 children, um, and it was founded by uh, a Palestinian uh, philanthropist, Hadi Qattan. And what they do is they work with children through sports, like you said, uh, primarily through football. But football is just one piece of the puzzle because when they, have, when they get into sports so many other parts of their lives become better. They're off the streets. They have more discipline. They're healthier. They work, uh, they work in teams. Boys and girls work together. They play together. We take these children to um, Norway to compete at an international level, and they come out on top. So last, last time we were in Norway, our children were one of the finalists, actually, um, the final game in the Norway Cup, which is the world's largest youth organization, uh, youth tournament, sorry. Um, the final was our, our boys and a Norwegian team. And our boys um, had only met right before the tournament because they're all from different refugee camps. And sports to me um, is very intrinsic to how I live because I do triathlons and marathons and things like that. So I understand the importance of the discipline behind sports. Um, so, for me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, when I was asked to join, it started off with me running uh, the Dubai Marathon to raise funds for them and raise awareness for them. And then from there, I was I joined as an advisory board member, and then I was asked to be on the board of trustees. So, it was um, a very natural progression and a natural alignment because... It's what I believe in, uh, but also supports the people I believe in. And Palestine, to me, is a humans, right, human rights um, issue. It's not about me being, I'm not Palestinian, I'm Jordanian. Um, so it has, it has to do with just, this is really um, a community and a, you know, people that I really feel need as much support as possible. Um so that was the long answer to the paces thing. Uh, the social enterprise project, um, my God, I fell in love with the second I saw it. Um, so I saw these, um, I was working as an advisor for some, uh, for some people and they were doing this kind of like online shopping platform and they wanted to bring in a organization that did really, really pretty things that had social impact. So I came across stuff and I just fell in love. I was like, like I have to I have to get involved and so I reached out to the founder at the time I'm like listen um I think you're doing amazing things but you know can I help you and can we just like rebrand a little bit and you know can we just you know reposition a little bit with my communications background and so it's like sure I mean what are you going to get out of it I'm like I don't know I just want to help um and so taking my experience in branding and communications kind of um started poking around and you know just asking her some questions and then you know, they went ahead and they did this beautiful rebranding and started this whole repositioning kind of um, direction. And um, the women, I think, are key to any community. I'm not one of those people that thinks, you know, women are better than men or women. I, I believe that women and men together kind of are the perfect yin and yang, and we need them as much as they need us. So, but I think especially in these marginalized communities, Um, women didn't have a voice. And so when they were empowered through an art that they already do. So the art of cross-stitch is a part of their life anyway. Um, And SEP was the first company to be set up in a refugee camp, not a charity. So all of these pieces just, it made sense. So for me, these organizations that I'm involved in, they're so aligned with me that they're a part of me. You know, they're aligned with everything I believe in, that I literally breathe these, I breathe these organizations. Like, they're a part of everything I do every single day. So, do I feel like I'm giving back? Absolutely not. I just feel like I live them. Um, and they're, they're just like, I'm in love with Paces, I'm in love with SEP. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it just works. Um, and Start Now employs around 700 women, um, and they sell in Harrods, and we've done a movie in Hollywood, you know, Mary Magdalene, and in Hong Kong, and in London, and all around the world, and it's just getting better and better, and it's profitable, which means that we can pay our women you know, really decent salaries, and they're now leaving, some of them are leaving the refugee camps, and they're educating their children, and their daughters are going to universities, and their sons are going to school, and it's, um, it's really, really kind of built an entire community around SEP within the Gaza uh, refugee camp in Jordan, which is the poorest refugee camp, uh, by the way, and um, yeah, I think, does that answer the question?
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, so it creates a yeah. ripple effect in terms of when they're empowered and they're able to give back their children and their own communities are able to progress as well.
1: So, I'll give you an example. When we first started with SUP, um the founder, Roberta Ventura, she is based in Geneva. She came to Jordan and wanted to take these women out for lunch. Sounds like a really simple thing, right? Apparently not. All the women couldn't go out to lunch because their husbands didn't want them to go out for lunch in this bus, and take them to Amman, you know? It's like a big deal. Four years later, we had around 40 of the women with their children. Their husbands are now working with the camp as well, and they come to the show. So in just four years, you went from two women, three women maybe, to now 700, but more than that, you have the acceptance from the husbands, you have their involvement, The you know, and that's how you change communities. You know, when people say, oh, uh, fight the older, you know, let's protest. I'm like, don't do that. Just find a way to rebuild something new and make it work. And that's how you change communities.
0: May I ask you, how did it scale so quickly? <laughs> to, yeah. Like from it's, where it was to where it where became?
1: Again, charity versus social enterprise. So a charity is always spending most of their time running around fundraising, right? Yeah. Social enterprise runs like a business. And so the more money you make, you hire more people, you take more orders, you make more money, and it just it grows. So even PACES, which is a nonprofit organization, we are now using the endowment fund to invest in social enterprises to be able to make it sustainable and scalable. I'm not against charities. I'm not saying everyone needs to be, but I think um, having that, again, that social enterprise mindset can really shift from you staying small and playing small and focusing on just fundraising all day, all the time, to actually looking at what it is that you do and the people that you serve as an organization and as a mission, and be able to make it sustainable and help it grow. So um, it grew just like it w- any other business would grow. It was done with um, transparency. Um, there was, you know, we, we a lot of bootstrapping. Um, and as orders came in, and as the pro- the production grew, the team grew, and so on.
0: So I'll move on to Young Arab Leaders because I know you are a member. I would like to hear in yeah. your words, how would you describe Young Arab Leaders? What is it?
1: Um, young Arab Leaders has been one of the um, best decisions I made uh, in my career. Um, first of all, it's uh, it was an incredible network. So it's about really kind of networking with the right people that think like you and are in the same Same journey are on the same journey as you are, um, or as I was. Um, So it's a and the exposure to different um, events and activities and things. um, I always use young Arab leaders as an example of what building a real community is all about. So it's a community, but it's an it's a learning community. Being given learning opportunities, being uh, able to kind of. Talk to people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to ever reach. Um, so, definitely a fantastic networking and learning um, organization, I would say.
0: And you hinted at uh, how it was such a great decision for you. So, how has Yale or Young Arab Leaders contributed to your own, let's say, entrepreneurial journey?
1: Um, a lot of the a lot of the things that I kind of was able to do is because of people that I've uh, met through young Arab leaders so the network because it's a, because of the way that the organization is everyone really supports everyone as soon as you have the YAL stamp or the young Arab leaders stamp um, and you connect with another fellow member they will open doors for you there's no question asked do you know what I mean it's like it's one of those things where automatically because you know that the due diligence has been done and you know that you have to have been a certain you have to be a certain type of character to even be in the young Arab leaders the door is open I don't have to explain myself you know what I mean and neither does anyone else if anyone needs something from me Um, it's one of those things that automatically you kind of just communicate in this uh, space of trust and that's it you know, so a lot of opportunities I had came because of uh, my relationship with some of the members of the Young Arab Leaders, for sure.
0: So it acts as some type of, let's say, trust and network. It's already, like you said, it's done the due diligence of who I'm talking to. So I, I already know this person is genuine in terms of what they're asking for or what they're doing. And I'm going to try and help or yeah. they have helped you as well in the past.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, um, one of the great things about Dubai is that there are a lot of people experimenting and trying out different things. Great thing, but also what it means is there's a lot of time wasted, you know, because a lot of people will try things out and, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you help them and you spend like a year helping them and then it just kind of vanishes because it just vanishes. So what's nice is, you know, these are all people that are, um, that even if their business doesn't necessarily work the way they want it to you know that they are solid people and they're not flaky. So um, anyone from Yale that gets in touch with me will get my time.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, speaking of networking, you know, typically networks have networking events. Yeah. Have you been to any of, or do you participate in any of these events? And if so, which or what events have been the most, let's say, enriching for you?
1: Absolutely. I, um, So I'm one of those people that really doesn't like networking. Like, I hate it. Take me to one of those (laughs) spaces. I hate it with such a passion. Put me in a room with like 500 people. You'll find me standing in the corner, just kind of twiddling my thumbs and thinking, okay, how can I escape this? So (laughs) for me to say I enjoy the networking events that, that Yal hosts is a huge deal. Um, but because of my character and my not liking these overwhelmingly big events, I used to love, and I still love the power lunches. So they do these really cool lunches where they bring in, um, and they brought in, um, uh, the C- the chairman of Shalhoub, you know, where am I ever going to run into him?
0: Patrick Shalhoub?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where am I ever going to run into him ever? Never. You know, um, they brought in the CEO of, uh, Expo 2020. When am I ever going to run into this guy? So, And the power lunches are really cool because it's like 10, 12 people. And you just literally sit around the table and have lunch together. And they tell you a bit about what they do and, you know, their vision, et cetera. But then you get to ask questions like your friends, like, which is completely, you know, it's completely surreal. The people that I've had this opportunity to sit with and have these power lunches with, it's surreal, Um, so those were my favorites by far. And then they used to sometimes do these evening ones as well, um, which I would go to whenever I can, but being a mom, um, kind of the timing didn't always work, but it works because what works well is that, you know, if someone is an evening networker, they have something similar in the evening. Um, I'm a lunch networker because it's part of work. So, um, that worked well for me and that was my favorite. I love the power lunches.
0: Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. Some people might, may might have a a regular day job, but they're still part of this network and contributing in some way. And yeah. they need that night option as well. Yeah. I want to ask you, I mean, it's semi-related to Yale, but it's more maybe related to entrepreneurs. It, obviously, we're all, the globe is going through this pandemic right now. What sort of opportunities do you see emerging for young Arab entrepreneurs as we're all trying to adjust and obviously the markets are adjusting as well at the same time. What kind of opportunities do you think exist today for them?
1: Um, I think to say what opportunities exist would be a very, very limiting thing. Um, This is a time where anything goes. And I think because traditional businesses and traditional things are not necessarily working right now, you have nothing to lose to try things out. So I think um, the opportunity is in the experimentation. Um, and I think that's kind of where people's mindset needs to be. Um, do I think any one specific industry is going to really kind of like ex explode? Not necessarily. I think a lot of different industries and we can see it in the numbers, you know, the Amazon went, Amazon's kind of one of the few uh, organizations whose shares went up, you know, and then you have all of the ed tech stuff. I mean, these are no brainers. Um, So definitely there is an opportunity in e-commerce and educational uh, platforms and things like that. But I think we need to kind of dig a little bit deeper than that and see, okay, what what was my community what is my community open to today you know that they weren't open to before everything that would have taken 10 years in terms of adoption is now going to take 3 weeks so you just need to be really agile and be really creative and open to experimenting as much as you possibly can experiment i think that's what that's what i did i mean as soon as the pandemic hit my business was either going to go under or i had to really adapt and within 2 weeks i had you know, just shifted things, and you have to be agile. Um, and so the, it's just I would say the opportunity is in the experimentation and the open mind to try new things.
0: Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. It didn't occur to me earlier when you said BizWorld and you used to do those sessions or workshops and events in person now it had to adapt how have you adapted to the pandemic actually
1: um i did there were three things that i did really really quickly so one of the things that i do is i work with gems and um we used to do these uh, entrepreneur speaker series where we would bring in entrepreneurs and we would co- we would bring in different students from different grades to come in and talk to the entrepreneurs i was like that's an easy fix right you know hello zoom so um <laughs> Auto- automatically upgraded my Zoom account to, you know, Zoominar, uh, Zoom webinar pro 105 or something, whatever it is, and started bringing in entrepreneurs to speak to students. And so we would do them over Zoom. Um, and we brought in within less than two months, we brought in 16 speakers for students from grade six to 12. And we had at any given webinar, we had around 270 to 300 kids coming in and joining. And that really shifted the way that they that online learning in general was being perceived, so the schools that were involved, um, all of a sudden online learning wasn't just this boring kind of digital platform normal education. It still delivered more than a, reg- than a standard education. So that was one, and that was a huge hit, uh, luckily. Um, number two, I took the entire uh, curriculum and put it on an online platform, um, which was basically um, student-paced, so the students at their own pace are able to take um, an idea and they go through a full-fledged entrepreneurship program. And then I also did um, another uh, program, which is um, live sessions and things like that with mentoring and an opportunity for students to get investment also online. So I've run, I'm now running four different programs online. Um, Do I think it replaces the traditional stuff? Absolutely not. But I think that there's an opportunity for this blended approach of, Um, how can you have like face-to-face experiences, but also be able to kind of scale and do things digitally um, from anywhere in the world.
0: That's pretty fast paced as well to shift to those four different online offerings.
1: Two weeks. uh, And within two (laughs) weeks, I'd like completely, completely shifted everything. And um, because there was no time, you know, you were either going to be left behind or you needed to really make it happen. Um, so you got to make it happen. And that's yeah. the entrepreneurial mindset.
0: Yeah. Well, well, congratulations on that. Thank you. So I'd love to move on to a bit more about you as an individual. Who do you consider was a role model for you, or was there anyone you looked to as inspiration throughout your career? Uh, obviously, your career has you've gone through multiple, let's say, industries and. Shifts Was was there any specific role model you looked to?
1: Um, Absolutely not. I have tons of role models in tons of different areas of my life. So um, one role model was my father in certain things. One was my mother in other things. Um, I have a sister who was like my fashion role model. You know what I mean? Uh, And then I had um, all my bosses, every person I ever reported to, um, taught me so much in such a, like, you know, from things like the consistency and, and making sure that you spell things properly when you send things out and how you per- how people perceive you to a boss that was really, really, really hard and tough to deal with because and taught me that you, if you're on time, you're already late. So these are all things that have kind of are now ingrained in everything that I do. Um, so tons of people. Um, and I think to to have one role model is really limiting. Um, you need to always be looking. My I have my kids are my role models sometimes. You know, um, it just I've, I'm constantly kind of learning different bits from different people all the time. I am a combination of thousands and thousands of people in one.
0: <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it.
1: <laughs> so yeah, anything anything I say or anything I do, I could probably attribute it to someone. <laughs>
0: Are there any personal routines or habits you tend to do that you consider maybe unique to yourself?
1: There is one thing that I do, um, which was taught to me by a mentor. Uh, So on the 27th of December every year, I set my goals for the following year. And I do my goals in eight different areas of life. So um, inner self, health, uh, financial, family, um, circle of genius, or who I surround myself with. Um, my legacy and how I want to give back to the community, adventure, how do I want to reward myself when I've done everything that I claim I'm going to do. Um, So all of these different um, things, I kind of set my goals um, a year ahead. And I have a really, really long bucket list that I try to cross things off of every year. So I have 127 things on my bucket list. And the the list keeps growing So as I cross things off, (laughs) things come on.
0: It's it's not just
1: 127. It's never ending. Um, But also, I wake up really early. So I tend to wake up around 4.30 in the morning. Um, I meditate every day for 20 minutes. um, And that kind of sets the tone for my day. And I train, uh, like I said, I think earlier, like for triathlon. And so I swim, bike, or run early in the morning. Um, I think those are the, I mean, it's just, it's, it's like my day is my daily habit. You know, how I structure my day is my daily habits. Um, and there's lots of different parts to that again. I think you'll probably notice, I don't, I don't do very well with black and white. I have, I live in gray. You know, so I have a lot of different parts of my day. I have a lot of different habits that really culminate and create this kind of um, this mental space that allows me to do the things that I do. You know, so I read every night. I I journal a lot Um, and not one of them kind of um, is more important than the other. Take one of them away. My, my, My day is off balance. So it's all of these together, really.
0: Interesting combination of things that make up your... Your gray zone. Yeah. Speaking of yeah. goals, interesting for me when people say goals, especially the way you said you break it down into those eight parts or those eight uh, sections. Do you set also a deadline, or is this just all of these have to be done by the end of the year?
1: And then they're put into, of course. Okay. So let me just put a really, really big disclaimer with like a massive asterisk. Okay. Yeah. So not everything gets done exactly as per the plan, right? Because uh, life gets in the way.
0: Yeah, life is great.
1: Yeah. You know, I do have a general structure and what happens is these goals are all smart goals. So they all have deadlines. They have uh, measures. They all. Um, so for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of my family goals is to connect with my mother every single day. And does that mean that I need to sit on the phone with her for two hours a day or like FaceTime with her? No, it just means that I need to connect with her every single day. And so these are kind of, um, everything is measurable and everything has a timeline. I then divide up my goals into quarterly. What do I have to do to, by the end of the year, have achieved that? So if it's a weight loss goal, for example, then I divide it up into monthly, quarterly, you know. um, If it's a fitness goal, so I want to do this race in March of next year, what do I have to have achieved by December, you know, what do I have to achieve by whatever, February, whatever it is. So I then divide them up into quarters and then monthly. And then that kind of like gives me a, a big picture of what my year looks like. And then obviously life gets in the way and things get muddled up. But there's a general, there's a general gist of things and there are non-negotiables. So some things are non-negotiable and some things are less, um, I mean, less, like set in stone
0: yeah you have some flexibility
1: yeah of course and i think if you don't you're blind because <laughs> life doesn't work
0: like that yeah i mean it comes back to what you said again great you, you need to have yeah. not everything is black and white especially in life yeah all right so we'll move on to our rapid fire questions these are short questions but you can answer short or long it's up to you how you want to answer these okay if you could post a message on A billboard. Let's say we were going to give you a billboard on Sheikh Zayed Road for a month to say something to the people visiting Dubai, people living here. And again, this is not a commercial uh, message, so you're not promoting BizWorld, you're not promoting any of your future (laughs) entrepreneur work. Uh, So, if there's messages for the people, what would you like that message to be?
1: Think, dream big. Um, Too many people think too small, Um, and I get small and you have to have small steps, but dream big.
0: Yeah, I like that. I mean, cause you need to dream big. I mean, you do need to take steps and maybe smaller steps to get there, but you should have a bigger dream to aim for.
1: Yeah. I want to make the world a better place. That's dreaming big, how you do it. That's something else. Lots of small steps.
0: Is there a book that you tend to gift to people?
1: There are two. Um, but mainly it's a book called the success principles by Jack Canfield,
0: And just out of curiosity, what's the other book that you said?
1: Uh, The Greatness Guide by Robin Sharma.
0: And what are these books about?
1: So what makes them special is the way that they are structured. So whether you're a reader or not, they're easy to read because you're in lots and lots of different small chapters uh, with actionable, tangible uh, things that you can do. Both of them um, are all about different habits that you can start today to make you a better person, whether it's in work or life or family or just you. Uh, So the success principles, one of the first things it says is, you know, you take 100% accountability for where you are today. That changes everything. The minute you actually are accountable for everything and where you are and stop blaming people and take responsibility for where you are today in life, good or bad, that's when you can actually make the change. That's when you can do things. Because as long as you're playing the blame game and finding people to blame for or circumstances to blame for, you'll never, um, you'll never get out of the, you'll never get out of the rut. And so it's that those kind of things that both books have, um, and they're very short chapters. So it's so easy to read. It's, and you can read it alongside another book. You know,
0: yeah. I'm assuming, are the chapters related or can you jump between them?
1: Well, you can jump between them. I mean, they are somewhat related and ideally you would read them kind of in order. Um, but they're not, I mean, you can literally just, the success principles, it's a huge book. You can open it in the middle and you can read something and there's an awesome nugget in there somewhere.
0: So they're digestible as well. They're very easy to pick up.
1: Very, very very easy.
0: So it makes a great gift.
1: Absolutely. And it's a great gift for a reader or a non-reader, you know,
0: do you have any favorite documentaries?
1: I would say, so the most recent one I watched, um, I would say is probably up there now, uh, which is the inside job. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, um, Matt, it's narrated by Matt Damon and it talks about the 2008, uh, financial crisis. So I would say maybe because I just watched it a couple of days ago, it's really fresh in my mind. (laughs) So I'm going to go with that.
0: Do you have any personal hobbies that you explore in the evenings and weekends? I know you mentioned the triathlons and uh, a lot of your meditation and sporting. Yeah. But do you have any hobbies that you pursue aside those?
1: I mean, triathlon is a hobby when you go out cycling with friends and running with friends. So this morning I went, went out running with four of my friends. Um, so I would say triathlon is my hobby. Um, yeah, I think that that might be. It I, I love baking. Um I'm not I'm not Martha Stewart, but I, I like baking. I enjoy it. I find it um very relaxing. The calories I consume after I bake, not so relaxing, which is why I need to run. But but I definitely enjoy um, baking and reading a lot.
0: I was going to say, that's an interesting combo. You have the triathlon and then you have the baking. Yeah. Which comes first?
1: Triathlon. Um, So the baking is usually based on my mood. So if I'm not in a very good mood, all of a sudden all the banana bread starts coming out. Um, If I'm in a good mood, I'm out there running all the time. So, I mean, they're both depending on the state of mind I'm in. Uh, You'll find me doing more of one or the
0: other. So this is something we ask all our guests. If you could propose a dream initiative for the UAE to pursue. I mean, as, an, as a country, it's pretty ambitious. I mean, we just had a Mars mission. So if there was, a, let's say, an outlandish Mars level initiative, they came to you, Helen, and said, what should we do next? what would you like them to pursue?
1: Just let people get in, I mean, more space. So um, to actually, it's not really outlandish because people have thought of it before, but no one's really done it. Commercial space, commercial trips to space, like let Emirates airlines start flying to space. You know how cool that would be? (laughs) My God, like that would be epic. Um, So yeah, I think um, Virgin and Richard Branson wanted to do it, but I don't think they ever did with Virgin Galactic. Um I think if there's anyone in the world that can do it it's the UAE and Emirates Airlines. Like that
0: yeah. I think Virgin Galactic is working towards it. yeah but It would be nice to see Emirates all of a sudden announce
1: that. 100%. I think you know Emirates is like the coolest airline in the world and to you know just go in there and take over. My goodness, do you know how awesome that would be? <laughs> I think that would be epic. <laughs>
0: I think it'd come out of left field as well. No one would suspect <laughs> yeah. an airline in, in this current climate to all of a sudden say, Hey, you know what? We're going to just go to the next level while everyone's in this yeah. current situation. Absolutely. Lastly, do you have any words of wisdom you would like to leave our listeners with?
1: Absolutely not. I have no words of wisdom. I, have, I, <laughs> I mean, I think um, if there's one thing that um, I try to tell people is, you know, um, just, Don't be afraid to explore, you know. I think people are too concerned about what other people think and how they'll be perceived and afraid to fail. And they stop themselves from trying and exploring and just really kind of experimenting. I think most of the best things in the world come out of experimentation, you know, and following your gut. And I think uh, the more people would do that, the more aligned people would be, the happier people, people would be. Um, and you can really, really do incredible things um, when you have that right mindset. So um, just explore, experiment, don't be scared. Um, what I always tell people is what's the worst that can happen? And then you do this game, right? So if, if I was to do this, what's the worst that can happen? And I'll, you know, I, I do say what the worst that can happen is. And then, okay, so if that happens, what's the worst that can happen? And then what's the worst yeah. that can happen? And then what's the worst? And you keep going and you realize that the worst that can happen is really not that bad. So why are you so afraid? And so what's the worst that can happen? Just do it, you know?
0: Yeah, so I, I think you actually did have some <laughs> words of wisdom to leave.
1: I don't, I wouldn't call them wisdom, really. It's just... Uh, Advice. It's just how I live my life.
0: Lastly, where can our listeners go to learn more information? One, about you and obviously the various work you're doing from the Future Entrepreneurs Platform, maybe BizWorld, where, where do you suggest them to go?
1: So I don't have public profiles, so my Instagram is pretty useless. But there is a Future Entrepreneurs Global um, Instagram page, and there's um, which has a lot of the BizWorld work. But I also do have a website, uh, helenalazazi.com. So it's dot icom and that has links to all of my work and a bit about me and a bit about what I do and all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, it's all there.
0: Okay. So the Instagram of future entrepreneurs and your own website. Yeah. Perfect. I would say that would probably be the best approach. Well, it was great speaking to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun.
0: You can find this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash Helen. That's H-E-L-E-N.
1: We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.